Welcome to the Cyber Senate Podcast. I'm James Nesbitt, the founder and director of the Cyber Senate, and I will be your host today. Today, we are speaking to Chris Kubeka, the CEO of Hypasec. Chris is an experienced, committed, energetic, and certified digital security expert who's passionate about solutions. She's the author of multiple books, including the 2019 release of Hack the World with OSINT. Chris has over 20 years of professional experience ranging from military, government, public, and private business. Prior to establishing Hypasec in 2015, she established and headed network and security operations teams, ICS security, international joint intelligence teams, EU, EU, UK privacy groups for EMEA in South America for Aramco Overseas Company, part of Saudi Aramco, and was tasked with setting up digital security after the 2012 Shamoon attacks. Chris was also featured on Darknet Diaries, Episode 30, Shamoon. Whilst at Unisys, she advised flagship clients at Lloyd's TSB and Dannon on their overall security and incident response posture. And it's really no surprise that outside of work, she continues to tap into this love for research by pursuing IoT and ICS exploitation and defense of critical infrastructure. So, Chris, welcome. Pleasure being here. Thank you so much. So, Chris, can you give us a little bit more information on your background? And, of course, uh, we want you to elaborate further on what you're going to be speaking about here on the Aviation Cybersecurity Summit in relation to software uh, vulnerabilities and exploitation. Yes. So, um, to give you a little bit of information about my background, my first career in the military was actually as a C5 Galaxy Loadmaster. And in that function, I did all of the weight and balancing calculation for the third largest aircraft in the world and the largest aircraft in the United States military's fleet, uh, amongst other things with the uh, plane and, and lots of other fun. Uh, but I've always had a great interest in aviation, uh, especially since I used to be a military aviator. So some of the things that I'll be talking about and introducing to the conference are some of the software process fails that we have already seen with Boeing and how that affects various control systems. Uh, there's also a lack of testing verification for control software that goes on uh, avionics. Uh, unlike uh, the space uh, industry, uh, you have to go through a very, very stringent uh, additional uh, test verification system before anything's put in space. However, uh, hopefully from uh, the Boeing fallout, this type of stringent requirement will also be required by the uh, FAA. Now, some of the more striking things that I've seen in the aviation industry today is the fact that there is a very limited understanding still of cybersecurity when it comes to the control portion of the avionics and airframes. And like many other uh, types of markets that use control systems, uh, this is um, a trend uh, that occurs. The things that I have discovered, which uh, kind of keep me awake at night, is uh, primarily when we're looking at an aircraft, we're actually looking at a gigantic computer with lots of different IoT sensors and ICS systems that are combined in. Uh, there used to be uh, roles on aircraft such as a navigator or a loadmaster or a flight engineer. But all of these roles have been replaced with computer systems. And when we take a look at this, 
We also have to take a look at the risks that are involved in inserting IoT systems, which may or may not be connected to weaker systems inside an aircraft. So some of the highlights uh, of my talk will be looking at uh, airport security themselves for cybersecurity. Um, for example, especially with Paris Orly Airport, a uh, little known fact, the bulk of the air traffic control system at that airport actually run on a bare metal Windows XP computer system, and they have no plans of replacing that system until 2021. That system frequently fails and causes an air traffic control nightmare across both Paris Orly and Charles de Gaulle, causing a good majority of some of the delays at those two particular uh, airports because of it. They have only one person remaining who knows how to work on the system and that person retires. Some other systems that have been quite concerning is there are many airport systems, uh, both the business side and also um, ticketing and cargo systems that I have found are directly connected to the internet. And this can be disturbing because do you really want uh, someone to be able to get a free ticket or insert it in the system in a way that it bypasses certain security controls? In addition to using the cargo systems, we've seen this at ports for maritime security. If they can get into the logistics systems, they can then smuggle items in and out with the cargo systems without uh, proper oversight. It's quite important that uh, these types of systems are secured from the outside. One of the airports that I was able to find has, uh, I won't give it away, uh, was just a drone attacked in Saudi Arabia. And I found part of the systems uh, completely exposed to the internet itself, which is quite disturbing because it isn't just software vulnerabilities. We also have to remember that these types of systems are also part of critical infrastructure nowadays. Moving people around in cargo is quite important for worldwide logistics. Um, another disturbing uh, finding that I found was um, when you go to update uh, avionics software to an aircraft, uh, in order to do that, you uh, should have to be able to log in to grab the uh, particular software that you need. Unfortunately, uh, in the case of Boeing, their system with the aviation ID, uh, the website is set up in a less secure manner than I would have expected with very obvious quality control issues with the HTML code on the back end. Um, by doing so, there is a very real possibility that someone would be able to bypass the security measures for the Boeing Aviation ID system to be able to see any of the avionics software, both civilian or military. And a concern with that is what if somebody was able to modify or change something and the wrong types of software were actually installed thinking that you got the right one. And when you're dealing with both civilian and military aircraft in the same system, that's quite a concern when there's very poor quality control dealing with the web developers. Interesting. Um, Chris, do we see any of these large scale uh, equipment manufacturers and the industry taking note of these vulnerabilities? Um, are you currently working with anyone or alerting anyone of this? And, and what manufacturers are taking note? Well, um, 
There are two manufacturers that I see are actually paying attention. Uh, one appears to be Airbus because I see them at uh, quite a few ICS security conferences trying to take part, presenting, talking, and doing. Another aircraft manufacturer is Lockheed Martin, who's actually come to a couple of my workshops uh, dealing with uh, some of these different types of issues. Unfortunately, I have yet to see Boeing at any of those particular ICS security conferences yet. Yeah, one thing that you know we are really noticing with those we speak to and with uh, within the industry is that industrial control systems are a um, are are not being uh, looked at or prioritized to the extent that they ought to be. Um, this is very typical for a lot of industries, but it it was uh, brought to my attention recently at a show uh, with a very popular vendor. Uh, that specifically stated to me that the aviation sector just really didn't have a whole lot of industrial control systems and that, you know, that they're more focused on data breaches in IT, um, which is probably, uh, well, at least their focus and their vulnerabilities in IT and uh, data breaches is certainly something we're going to hear and see a lot more of. Um, it's also the more popular attack vector in this sector. However, that doesn't mean we shouldn't be overlook, you know, that we should be overlooking industrial control systems. Uh, there's a lot of ICS systems in the aviation sector. They're vulnerable. Uh, they're out there, and we really need to focus more on what we're doing to protect those, as they will always be a backdoor. And of course, at the same time, this sector really has a lot to to look out uh, for in relation to just the overall attack surface, because data breaches are not going to stop. Uh, attacks on ticketing systems, customer-facing information systems. They're all out there. They're all vulnerable. Uh, they need to be watched. We need to mitigate that risk. And all, all along the, the time, we also need to be looking at the industrial control side as well. Yes. Um, for the last 10 years, I've been doing a research study on my own about uh, the amount of risk that we keep introducing by adding more industrial IoT systems in between IT and ICS systems or just exposing uh, more uh, secured ICS systems to IoT systems, which is a bit troublesome. Uh, we're talking about uh, just modernizing an aircraft whenever you update it to sensors to report on the fatigue on the wing of an aircraft to make sure that uh, there aren't stress breaks, for example. And what happens is the ICS portion or the control portion, uh, very generally, uh, and all the automation that goes on on an aircraft, uh, these systems are uh, very, very specific. And when you start putting in and introducing a system that then is running on, say, some sort of Windows uh, CE version, which might be based on Windows XP or uh, Windows 7, which is the um, current version of uh, supported Windows CE. And these are embedded systems, and they're running a version, a very, very light version of Microsoft Windows. Now, how often do you think uh, an aircraft is going to park up at the gate and then wait for it to be updated? Because you also have to make sure that everything remains interoperable. You're not just going to put a passenger directly on board that aircraft if things haven't been tested. And so it's a very, uh, very important but fragile system because of this. 
So we effectively need some downtime for these assets so that they can be patched and updated. Exactly. More and more, that's the way it's going. And another thing to understand, uh, and this was something that was um, uh, very concerning for us, uh, or especially myself as a loadmaster, whenever we thought that our aircraft was going to be in danger, whether it was uh, the aircraft suddenly breaking up in the air, which isn't the best feeling, but uh, one of my duties was to uh, jettison all of the extra fuel before we tried to land. Otherwise, we would be a ginormous fireball. So... These uh, planes, it's not only, you know, people safety in the planes, people safety on the ground, and the fact that um, planes typically will carry quite a bit of fuel. Carrying a lot of fuel indeed. And of course, we've all uh, witnessed and know uh, uh, that, you know, planes with this amount of fuel uh, in any capacity can be used as a weapon. So... It is uh, quite worrying, and it's something that we all need to do as an industry uh, to make sure that these assets are more resilient. Um, you, you know, and it's something else that keeps coming up with the Cyber Senate in all of the sectors that we work in, aviation, rail, nuclear, uh, you know, smart grid, utilities, water, you name it, um, is Windows XP. And of course, a lot of these sectors and a lot of these industries are unable or are not uh, updating and patching Windows XP. Uh, there's, a, there's that downtime that's required. Um, we've even she seen oil and gas rigs, uh, offshore oil and gas platforms uh, that aren't updating uh, their their systems, um, which is, is, is worrying. And we've had some discussions around that. Um, so Chris, really how, uh, how can we start to address this? Well, uh, I think that there's a couple of things that uh, we could do. Uh, I've dealt a lot with the nuclear industry here in the United Kingdom, and they've got much stricter uh, requirements when it comes to patching and updating and replacing, especially if something could be exposed to the outside world that is uh, patched and updated and configured in such a way that uh, any harm is minimized. And uh, taking a look at what works with the nuclear industry uh, would be a very good idea to try to incorporate into the aviation industry. In addition to uh, taking a page from the space industry, before you put a satellite up in space, you're required to go through a very formalized testing verification system and framework uh, because once it's up there, it's very hard to touch again to fix. I really love it when we bring these uh, different sectors together to learn from each other, maritime, nuclear, aviation, smart grid, utilities, water. They all speak the same language when it comes to the problems and the challenges that they're having with uh, IT and OT convergence. And of course, most of that in Industry 4.0 has converged. So now we're looking at IP-enabled hardware. Uh, so the landscape is changing. We all need to learn from each other. We're very fortunate that we do have Sellafields joining us on the Aviation Cybersecurity uh, Conference this November. Their CISO, Richard Meal, will be joining us. And he has 20 years of service in the Royal Air Force before he was working with Sellafields in, in the nuclear sector. Uh, he specialized in security strategy, information security, security audit, investigation, law enforcement, counterintelligence, 
Uh, he was a specialist staff officer as well as an operational commander. And when you speak to him about the aviation sector, he's very passionate about it. So this guy has not only aviation cybersecurity specialisms, but he's also uh, the CISO for Sellafield. So it's a lot we can learn from each other, and I'm really looking forward to that opportunity. Through the United Kingdom's Centers for the Protection of Critical National Infrastructure, I actually lectured uh, for his team at Sellafield. That's fantastic. Sounds like you guys will have a lot to catch up on then. Uh, Chris, I just wanted to ask if you have any guidance, uh, any advice to the aviation sector and our listeners or any critical infrastructure uh, sector for that matter uh, in relation to how they may mitigate risk, may become more resilient, and especially knowing what you know and with your history and from your research, what type of practical guidance um, can, can you provide? Well, I always recommend try to be proactive. And nowadays, uh, different types of security tools to enable you to do that, uh, the prices have dropped dramatically uh, from back in the day. So one of the things I always recommend is try to see what your external exposure looks like first, because that's likely going to be the the more dangerous area. And you can use um, low-cost, no-cost tools like uh, census.io, that is I have to spell it, uh, C-E-N-S-Y-S dot I-O or Shodan dot I-O are two good ones. And if you go ahead and put in some of your website information, the IP or the domain or your email servers, you can start discovering if you've got an unacceptable exposure. And that's one of the ways that I... I have some quick wins when it comes to discovering uh, quote-unquote low-hanging fruit that a bad naughty attacker could then use for bad purposes or even plant on ransomware if it's not set up correctly as well. So let's address supply chain cybersecurity uh, further and really look at um, you know what's being done out there and what your experiences uh, are uh, with, say, procurement contracts. Uh, obviously, supply chain's a big area. There's a lot of risk, a lot of vulnerability, a lot of extended attack services. But there's also other issues like procurement contracts. Can you enlighten us a little bit more about your experience in procurement contracts and supply chain cybersecurity? So I worked extensively with the legal department in recreating uh, some of the terms of our contracts and in those terms they our suppliers had to have basically basic level security that we would want any of our suppliers to have if it was a software development firm we also required them to have a secure software development life cycle and to adhere to our update patching uh, requirements for our different types of systems, whether that was IT, IoT, or ICS systems, especially depending on the type of systems and the exposure that was required. In addition to that, uh, we also began requiring our third-party suppliers to show us their yearly cybersecurity audit information. And we had to look at it and say, all right, so where are you now? You had this one particular vulnerability and penetration scan, and you now acknowledge the risk, and where are you at this point? And we actually required that moving forward. And that also changed it up quite a bit because we then had a certain level of transparency, and we could then trust some of our suppliers a little bit more. 
So procurement has a huge role to play. Huge, huge role to play. Absolutely. We've been talking about procurement for many years on our events. Um, you know, water, utilities, every sector, nuclear, aviation. And uh, procurement is one of those things that, uh, you know, we just need to get better at. Uh, supply chain cybersecurity is going to depend upon uh, these procurement changes. And, um, the, you know, we do see, of course, new directives coming in that, that will help push that forward. But it's been a very slow adoption uh, for most industries in relation to, you know, updating and, you know, moving procurement forward and ensuring that they know uh, the importance of cybersecurity uh, and the liabilities uh, that are involved with uh, working with third party suppliers. And there's a lot of education, a lot of skill set that, that, you know, needs to be reviewed in, in relation to that. So in Europe, we have regulations on the NIST directive and we have GDPR, of course. And then in the U.S., we have NERC SIP 13. Yes. Um, there's also something that uh, the United States, particularly Alan Friedman, um, with the NITA has been trying to push, and it's called the S-bomb. And what that would do is require vendors of this type of software to disclose what types of open source libraries they use in their software and also the versions. That's very important because uh, if you've ever heard of something called Heartbleed, that was from an open source library. And if someone doesn't maintain or update those open source libraries and then someone like a naughty version of Chris comes around with a zero day and can exploit it. If you don't know what your uh, software is made up of, you don't know the risk and how to protect it. It's like buying a bag of crisps. There is listed all of the different ingredients and you still have places for proprietary uh, ingredients such as proprietary flavoring and food. But here we have systems that are controlling our modern world and we don't know uh, what versions and open source libraries are actually running. We worked with uh, many industry professionals during uh, the trending hot topic of Heartbleed at the time. Um, still very much something we you know needs to be considered. You don't hear about it as much anymore, but you know, open source is often not tested. So I know when we were working uh, on our asset information shows uh, with the rail sector, that a lot of those stakeholders very much preferred open source due to its affordability and its efficiency. So Chris, I know you've written a book recently, and I'm hoping that you'll tell us a little bit more about it and how that book might be able to help those listening and those in the aviation and critical infrastructure sectors possibly get a better grip on uh, cybersecurity. Yes, yeah, so I uh, wrote a book recently called Hack the World with OSINT, and I primarily use the tool census.io, uh, the free version for researchers, that is, and what it does is it's a journey to discover all sorts of different things, whether it's exposed IT systems or IoT systems, built-in control systems, ICS systems, and SCADA systems, uh, everything from databases, insecure email systems, to hydroelectric dams and your home burglar alarm system as well. Um, 
Part of the uh, energy sector was very interested last year uh, with the Austrian-EU presidency and some of the information was actually shown uh, as evidence into the EU Commission uh, back in October as well. And they're quite concerned with the amount of risk, again, that uh, inserting IoT into uh, critical energy systems uh, without uh, looking at the risk and making sure that they're not exposed. So it takes you all the way across and a uh, way that uh, anyone could get started to try to be proactive against their own systems. Fantastic, Chris. Thank you very much. And that brings us to the end of the Cyber Senate podcast today. I'd like to thank all of our listeners. Most of all, I'd like to thank Chris Kubeka, CEO of Hypasec, for joining us today and for sharing her experiences and her guidance with us. And once again, you can meet Chris as well as learn more about cybersecurity for the aviation industry on November 5th and 6th in London at the third annual Cyber Senate Aviation Cybersecurity Summit. That's November 5th and 6th in London. Visit www.aviationcybersec.com. Thank you.